Tom Fisher. And uh, I do that. And um, I'm the guy you'll bring cookies to in a couple weeks for prison. So, um, At the end of this brief reading of scripture, uh, when we say thanks be to God, it will partially be because my voice didn't give out. So here we go. The word of the Lord from Hebrews chapter 11, chapter 4, and then Joshua chapters 1, 2, 5, and 6. Amen. Here we go. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, thank you. And the children, ages 4 through rising 4th grade, head to the education wing that way. Thank you. I thought they'd want to hear a story, but no? Okay. All right. By faith. The walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. <clears throat> By faith, Rahab the, pro the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Hebrews 4. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Joshua chapter 1. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, remember the word that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, <clears throat> I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, <clears throat> our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, 
you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord into the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Joshua chapter five. <clears throat> when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and beheld, um, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, uh, are you for us? or for our adversaries. And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho, was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand and its king and mighty men of valor. You shall, you shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. Joshua chapter six. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and the priests took up the Ark of the Lord and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of of the Lord walked on and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of the day 
and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is in it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are within her, who are with her in her house, shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they, and they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church, for those who don't know, because I've been going for some time. So I think I probably needed to reintroduce myself to many of you. And um, I've been on an extended time of rest and refueling for about six weeks. And um, I want to thank the staff and the elders and deacons and women shepherds and lay staff and all you committed members for not only um, holding things together while I was gone, like y'all actually needed me to do that, but growing and strengthening um, things while I was gone. Um, this is the Lord Jesus's church, and you are his work. And he is the head and power. And let me make this clear. He alone is the cultic personality of this church. We don't do cultic personalities at Christ Central, hopefully. And if you're doing it, repent. And if I'm doing it, I need to repent. No one person or man or ministry can stop the work of God and the life of his church. Amen. Amen. So I praise God the way he used other preachers um, to bring the word to you. And I am convinced even in that it's not about all the giftings and abilities and who's the coolest or who's the most exciting. It's about the Lord's work through the word, y'all. And I think some of you need to learn, like I do, because I judge sometimes, too. I visited some other churches and stuff. I judge, too. The Lord is at work even when you think it ain't as good. That's the wonder and glory of God. He's good to you even we don't think things are that good, right? We call that sovereignty. We call that real fatherhood, loving you even when you act like a child who needs to have it their way, has to be exciting, has to be this, has to be that. I thank God for what he's done and who he is. Um, and yet, while I was gone, I realized lots of mess has gone on in the world. 
in particular along with this crazy election stuff. It's going to be a wild one, y'all, look like. It always is. No? <laughs> All right. But uh, along with that crazy stuff, the, the shootings in Minnesota and Baton Rouge twice in Dallas. I have to let you know I was discouraged like many of you because it doesn't seem to be getting any better. And the political climate right now is not helping it. And like many of you, I can't help but see how we have, as a people, as a country, as cities, woven ourselves into a knot, a real cluster mess, right, of racism and poverty and power and gun violence and Second Amendment rights and class struggle and now social media and opinions and anger and fear and violence and affluence. And it all goes on and on, building on each other. It's straight beastly and monster. It is faith-eating and straight discouraging. It does not appear that justice and truth and mercy will ever come to pass. And yet, it is for these kind of situations that gospel faith is built. These mainly Jewish Christians who received this letter of Hebrews were apparently tired, like many of us, of dealing with hardships of a society that pushed against what God wanted, and, and they wanted to give up and adjust their faith. They, they, they might have thought Christianity meant uh, no new battles to face, or at least easier and quicker for them to overcome their problems. Like we can get, they were beginning to hit the wall, restless and defeated and discouraged by what was on and around and before them. They probably, like us, wanted to stop reading the Bible and go straight to social media, right? To fix the problem. To find some answers. The Lord wanted them and now us to see that real rest, real victory from, now hear this, and in our hardships, our so-called fortresses, only comes from faith in Christ alone. Now, almost 4,000 years ago, God, God called the freed from Egypt Israelites to move into the promised land of Canaan. One day, that land would be the country of Israel, but with one problem. There were already people living there. These Israelites were, were the promised people of God, but nobody told the present residents of Canaan this. They just heard, right, through ancient social media that, easy, that these Egyptian escaped slaves might be coming their way. The Bible tells us that when they left Egypt, the Israelites came up sort of northeasterly from Egypt to then be told by God to take an immediate left, westerly, right, to th then cross the Jordan River, and right across the Jordan River, that area they would call home but right across the river at the entrance to the promised land subdivision was the city of Jericho, a fortress city 
of close to 2,000 people tightly and neatly and strongly packed into walls about as high as anywhere from 30 to 50 feet, about 25 feet thick walls, right? Enough to have people living in the walls, have their homes built in the walls like Rahab's house was. Jericho probably had a 10-foot trench built around it and a foundation that dug deep into the ground. In other words, this was a city. This was a fortress, an institution, dare I say it, a situation, an obstacle, a historical barrier for the Israelites that when it shut its city gate was too high to get over, too low to get under. Okay, I'm not going to start the Michael but too thick in the middle, okay? Let me say that. (laughs) Jericho for them is like our present struggles. Anything from global racism to, to broken family issues, sicknesses, financial struggles, spiritual dryness, marriage issues, addictions, and just plain emotional and mental problems, stuff that is built up, right? Ignored possibly, fortified over the years, just plain big and heavy issues that seem to stand immovably in the way of God's rest and prosperity and hope for us. And these so-called fortresses, whatever it may be for us, have paralyzed our faith, many of us. Got us rethinking the Jesus thing. Some of us are caught up and oppressed by the weightiness and gravity and pull of whatever it is on us. We cannot break free from its hold. But good news, in Christ, we are provided a faith for a fortress, a faith for a fortress. And there are three things these scriptures encourage us with. Number one, the Lord has seized the fortress. Secondly, the Lord has besieged the fortress. And finally, he's done so so that we can surge onto the fortress. Seized, besieged, so you can surge. Amen? Many, if not most of you, have heard. You know the story from the Bible of Joshua and the battle of Jericho, how the walls of this immense city, right, came falling down after the people of God marched around the city walls one time a day for six days and then seven times on the seventh day, and then they blew the trumpets and shouted, and the walls came, as the song says, tumbling down. But the passage teaches us that most of the battle was already done before the walls came down. The city, the fortress, was already seized, already seized by God. Let's start by looking at an encounter Joshua had when he was told by God to take this city. The Bible tells us that in chapter 5, Joshua was out walking around the outside of Jericho, and my guess is that as any good commander about to go into war, Joshua is looking at how to get into this place and comes upon a soldier with his sword drawn. Now, a curious thing, Joshua must have been the man, y'all, right? Because the Bible says he went up to the soldier 
whose sword was drawn? He didn't walk away like Doughboy and Boys in the Hood. We, with Moxie asking, we got a problem here? Huh? Or maybe like, break yourself, fool, and tell me who you are. That's exactly what he's saying. Where you going? What you doing? Who you for? I need to know. I'm the commander of the Israeli army. And this is what happens. Look with me at verse 13 in chapter 5. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. <laughs> I love that answer. No, you got it wrong. You're thinking about it wrong. Some translations say, say neither. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua, the Bible says, fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the armies, the Lord's army said to Joshua, what? Take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. The Bible tells us that this, this, this is, Joshua finds out that this is the general of God's army, that this dude got rank on him, that this is the Lord him, Jesus himself in a, in a pre-incarnational form, not in an ancient daishiki robe thing he's always depicted wearing, but looking more like a dude from Asgard, right? Or Jon Snow on the wall with sword drawn, meaning this, he is already at work. The Lord is already war planning and working as the Lord commander in both physical and spiritual realms. And what we see is that way, that way before Joshua got there, God had already started his plans. He had already started his work to defeat the city for the people of God by first seizing its heart. Look at what had already happened, right? Before Joshua and them got there. Rahab says this beginning in verse 8 of chapter 2. Before the men lay down, the spies that came to her house, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Wow, they ain't even going to battle yet. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you, before you when you came out of Egypt. And, and what you did to the two kings of, of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. To Sahan and Og whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Do you see it? The story, the word, the message of God's work through and for and in his people, him revealing who he is in this world has gotten to them. 
not just their ears, but deeper, the gospel, the story about God and his moving on the earth got there. And when they heard it, the Bible says it melted their hearts and they were afraid. What did they hear? You might be next. Disaster may be coming. A giant killing upset making force in Israel is coming and God is leading them. I want you to go with me now back to Hebrews. And as you do, as we think about God seizing the heart of, of, of enemies, of, of people, right? Of issues, of problems, right? I want you to recall the image of the commander of the Lord's army with drawn sword that Joshua came in contact with. Now look back at our Hebrews passage, chapter 4. It says here, Start at verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Meaning Joshua wasn't actually the commander and the one who gave them rest. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his, right? Let us therefore... Strive to enter the rest so that no one may feel fall by the same sort of disobedience. And then listen to this passage now. As we talk about hearts being seized and we talk about the sword of the, of the, of the commander of the Lord's army walking around the, the, the walls, listen what it says. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now watch carefully. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now the fighting men of Joshua, just some little tidbits here. Their weapons only had a single-edged edge on them, like, like a sickle, right, that, to, that you might cut grass with or something. Like, you've seen them old-school swords that shaped like, like a crescent moon or something like that? And it only had one edge on it, and so they couldn't really pierce with it. They could only hack with it. The Lord's Word, by the work of His Spirit, the Bible says is the sharpest two-edged sword and that it pierces the heart. And just like the heart's melting, as it pierces, it pours out and lays open the heart's intentions and it shows what we are truly made of. The work through the word of God that got to Jericho, it sized up the hearts of the people. It seized their hearts. This is what Christ did. This is why he was walking on the wall. He was going in to do this. He had already done it. And this is what seized up and sized up by God's word heart looks like. The Bible says it melts. When I was talking to Kelly about this melting heart thing, sometimes, you know, she gets the beta version of the sermon three or four times. When I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, guess what the Lord said? And she got to get preached to. She said, 
Melt sounds nice. Not bad. Well, sort of. But melt here also implies that when God's word and holy presence came, as they faced being destroyed by Israel, it revealed that their hearts were made of stone, right? Of metal, of idle material. Melt means like molten lava, right? So when God, molten metal. So when God's word and presence and the truth of God came on these hearts, what it revealed was they were idle, right? They were worshiping and trusting something else other than God and what could say them and the Lord comes in with his word and his spirit the fire of that kind of message the gospel his holiness it melts the idols it melted where their hearts really were look what verse 9 in chapter 2 says that when they hear the word the Bible says as Rahab, Rahab was explaining I know that the Lord has given you the land and that Fear, the fear of you has fallen upon us. Fear fell on them. Interesting. The word for fear in, he, in the Hebrew language has at its root, believe it or not, an idol. Hardened. Petrified. Dried. When their situation got hard, in their fear... It showed who and what they really worshipped. And when God's holiness came upon it, it melted. And it showed them they had no hope in life outside and before the word and person of God. It proved that their faith was idle that it was lifeless, that it was impure, that it would melt and not last or not stand before a holy God. You know what the gospel, the story of God, the word of God, by the spirit of God does, especially in hard and desperate times? It not only reveals and lays hope in the heart of a person, place, or thing to God. He already knows. The Bible says he knows the heart. But something else incredible happens when God seizes the hearts of people. It opens it up to the person. And you get opportunities. When God's word comes in and you're in desperate times, God oftentimes will come in with his word and show you what is really going on in your heart, to show you what you're really trusting in. And other times you wouldn't see it. But in Jericho, they were so afraid. The word of God came and exposed something. It terrified the soul of the people in there. I remember, I don't know, it's been a while since I've seen this stupid movie. The Terminator Salvation movie. Y'all ever seen that? Well, maybe you haven't. Maybe I shouldn't use this one. But it was the people against the machines, right? So the, the, the only people that could be trusted were the people who were flesh, Right? Well, there's a scene in the movie where Sam Worthington's character, he's running around with the people, fighting against the machines, and he steps on the mine, and he gets blown up, and, and he wakes up, and he's in prison, imprisoned on some device. I can't go too deeply. And they said, you think you're human, don't you? And he goes, I am human. Look at me. And they loosen him up enough where he could see himself, and he was a machine 
on the inside. And he like screams in horror. Like, I thought I was real. I didn't know I was an enemy. I didn't know my life wasn't put together like I thought it was put together. I'm not who I thought I was. And this is what God does with his word. When he seizes our hearts, he comes in with his word and by his spirit. And he causes us to not only for him to see it, but for us to see ourselves that we are not who we think we are. That you and me in the face of adversity and God's words looking in are not as powerful in and of yourself as you thought you were. What do you do with that? People don't like coming in here the word of God. Because it will show you who you really are. You know, it's funny. We, we think it's a, a, a normal to, 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 to uh, what happens in our world is the fun house mirror becomes the real mirror. And we see ourselves in it and we think we're all right. We think we're good and then desperate times come and here comes the word of God. Let's just say somebody shares it with you. Let's just say you got tricked into coming to church today and you see the mirror of God's holiness and his goodness and his truth and you see your sin and how much you're an enemy of God and it comes before you and you see the real you. Let me tell you, people want to stay away from that. I know I do. Sometimes I turn to the side, right? We try to turn to the side. We make ourselves, so what do we do with that? When our hearts are melted and exposed and seized by God, you know what we do? We put our defenses up. (laughs) We go get good. Even when we hear the word of God, hey, you know what? You're a sinner, broken, and you need Jesus. All right, I better go get good now. Right? You think, man, that's not bad, Pastor Brown. They're going to get good. It's very bad. It's the worst thing you can do is hearing how bad you are to try to go get good. But the world, that's what they say, right? Get yourself together. Here comes God. Here comes this new morality. They, They don't see God. They just see the morals. Here comes this new morality. Go get good. We make ourselves feel good about ourselves. We try to make ourselves not be so bad. We rebuild ourselves, right? We, we, we do everything we can. We are seized by the Lord more often than not. Our lives at that point aren't getting better. But your seized heart is now besieged by the Lord. Besieged by the Lord. Look at what happens here. When they hear about Israel's God, the Lord, the God of heaven and earth and his people, they don't open up and say, come in, God, help us, save us. The Bible says they shut down and close up against God and his people. They get defensive. Look at verse 1 in chapter 6. Listen to what it says. Now Jericho was shut up inside and and outside because of the people of Israel. Again, because of God's work, right? None went out and none came in. And look at what it says here. We're going to get back to this. This is going to come together. Y'all hang with me. Look at what it says in verse 2. 
And the Lord said to Joshua, now this is after they closed the gates, right? This is after, you know, they've closed up all the holes. You know, maybe there's a water drain. They plugged that up too. No, you can't get in, okay? This is what the scripture is saying when it says to shut up. And listen what God says, right? See? I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. Huh? They heard we're coming. They heard how great you were. Their hearts melted. They all got afraid. They shut up the kingdom, right? They got tight, right? They, they, they hardened up. They strengthened up. They fortified themselves. And God says, see that? I've given you the city. Huh? Because of the way it looked, its defensiveness is a sign that God has besieged the city and it's only a matter of time he's going to give it to you. I don't know whether y'all are a Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones fans or watch Vikings. I like, I like that kind of era. You know, I never see many people my skin color in those movies, but... But I like them. Castles, moats, and drawbridges. And hot oil going over the side. You know, all that kind of stuff. Where they're my, you know, and in those movies, there's, or shows, there's like a city with walls and, and um, around it. And, but there is a real irony to having a walled city or fortress, right? When, when you feel seized up or afraid by something, there is something good about having a wall, but there's something very bad about having a wall. It can protect you from enemies coming in, but it can become a strong prison if you are surrounded and kept in it. So back in the day, armies would just wait it out until the city ran out of provisions or got cabin fever or ran out of water and stuff like that. They would basically starve the city out. They would besiege it or lay siege to the city. No fighting, just waiting for the city to surrender or come out and be slaughtered or starve. Hang in here. So remember the hearts that are seized with emptiness? Fear by the word and holiness and presence of God? Well, the Bible says that these seized hearts and lives, insecure before God and their broken, dangerous world around them, look and run to security and something else. A sure sign of a life under siege. Jericho as a fortress shut up so that no, not even God, they thought, could come in and go out is not a sign or monument of man's or Satan's or sin's greatness. But as God said to Jericho, see, it is actually an admission of guilt and insecurity and arrogance and sinful pride before God. What that teaches us is that some of our fortresses are as much inside of us as outside of us. Besieged 
to the truth and work of God, we, we have a real fortress in here. God's shown us something. We're dealing with something impossible, or it's something out there. Let me make clear what I, what I believe the Bible is teaching about cities and institutions. I'm talking about the outside part now. No city or institution or philosophy or way of thinking or seeing the world as evil in and of itself. The heart is evil, right? So when you have something like institutional racism, right? When you have institutionalized poverty, when we have these juggernaut issues and fortresses, not, not, we already talked about the inside, I'm not going to let y'all loose on that one, but the outside stuff that we have in our world that seems impossible to take down. Do you know what it really is? It is an evil in and of itself. A form is not evil. Red tape isn't evil. These things are constructs. They are the walls and residents of evil and sinful people and evil and sinful spiritual forces gathered together. Anything institutionalized or established, like I said, like racism or classism or sexism, any movement or stronghold or philosophy, a bad politic, an industry that feeds addictions like pornography and gambling, a culture that feeds on greed and oppression, or a collection and, and community. Um, we've made a society even of hard, melted, unrepentant minds and hearts gathered like hearts of stone, death, undealt with sin and fear and satanic, satanic forces mortared, if you will, and mixed, and then like cement, dried out and piled together higher and higher on you and around you in our world, piled up over the years. And like Rahab, the prostitute, some of us in a lot of the world are trapped living in its walls. Oppressed living in a lifestyle, oppressed, living, scared, can't get free because the wall of all these institutionalized, broken and seized and besieged hearts have gathered together to form this tight and, and, and compacted against God's city. And some of you are caught in the oppression of living in a lifestyle and now can't escape it. Many, maybe the fortresses are built deep in the country's history of race or in the generations of a family with certain sin patterns. Maybe it's grown to a monster-sized appetite for what God does not want, and it is now, because it has not been devoted to the Lord, seized, right, separated from the life of God because it is doing and wants to do its own thing, right, closes and builds itself against the life God has for people and against you, the people of God. You know, it's funny. God didn't really lay siege to the city outside of giving his word. The city and the people besieged themselves from God. People would rather build a new religion and find security together, endless sin and struggle and die and fade like that instead of open the doors of their hearts and lives and institutions and surrender to the life of God by letting him in. But God says to Joshua, see? Like, look how it looks. 
so strong. How can something be so strong and so no God in it? <laughs> Look at it, Joshua. I've done my work in it. Look how tight it is, right? You know, I, I think a better way of looking at this instead of uh, uh, Jericho was so shut up because it was seized and besieged by the Lord is that it's puckered up, right? It's, it, it's ready, right? It's, it, it's sort of like uh, ready to get hit. It's, 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 how, how can I think about it? All right, I hate bringing up this team. <laughs> do it. Somebody want me to do something wrong. Do it, Pastor Brown. We know you'll mess up. Nah. Yeah, I will. I'll come back. But what is God telling us? That strongholds and, and obstacles and thinking and Satan before you have been proven powerless. See it? See how it's built an institution apart from me? See how hearts are trying to build a life apart from me? Do you see how they're trying to keep going without me? The things that stand against you without me, they have proven powerless before and by God to stop you from going and being what God would have you to be and do. Did you hear that? God has exposed and poured and drained and starved out the power and life of sin and Satan and evil in, around, and over you in this world. He is saying, the fortresses in this world are nothing to me and next to my power. They were already whipped before you had to deal with them. And like Rahab, even those trapped in the fortress and thinking of this world are nothing for me to break out and rescue. This world and its false power is like Jericho. It's not truly able to bow up against God. It is safer to say again that this fortress of fear and idolatry and hard hearts and sin against God is more squeezed up in their own strength with their eyes closed. Like when you're about to get in a crash or get hit, you freeze up and you get petrified. All right, here we go. So two few Super Bowls ago. Remember Denver? Who would they play? Um, Seattle. And we watched the Super Bowl, y'all. What was the funniest part of that Super Bowl? Peyton Manning throwing with his eyes closed. He got hit so many times. He was standing tall in that pocket. But at one point, when the pocket began to collapse, he froze up and he shut his eyes and he just tossed the ball. And me and Kelly, we were rolling. We rerounded a couple of times. We said, did that dude just, the one responsible for getting the ball to the receiver, reading defenses, did he just shut his eyes to throw the ball and brace himself for the hit? Yes, he did. Whatever you're facing, with Satan and all his demons, sin and all that separates you and me from the love and holy move of God's spirit that is hanging has been seized and besieged by God shut up like the eyes of a scary quarterback and God says to his people see I've given you the victory And the way God's people go about it, which I can't go into great depth because I don't have a lot of time, 
going around silently for six days with the Ark of the Covenant and playing church songs on the trumpets as they go. Teaches us that for our struggles and battles too big for us, God himself must command our destiny and victory. That we will not and cannot and have not won this battle in our strength. The silent walking around six days said, the Lord whom we praise and extol and trust in, he has brought down my adversaries for me. That we are not like Jericho. It is not by our power and our might, but by the Lord. So we cannot forget or move on without him in our strength. Yes, the issues of sin are, are, are defeated by Jesus, but they are only taken down and survived or lived by our obedience, right? He must lead the surge in and on our issues. Here's the problem we have when it comes to our fortresses. We try to siege and besiege it without waiting for the Lord. And when we hit that wall and see how deeply oppressed things are, we freeze up and give up. And it might take more time for, for this world, right? And, and, and for this thing to go and for your marriage problems and for your financial situation or for your sin and addiction to change. Seven times around, the same issue for some of y'all. A lifetime around and around, taking longer than you think it should. Here's the gospel's message for you. Keep walking in obedient worship and need and trust of the one who already defeated sin, Satan, and the world. It might not look like anything is happening. Pastor Brown, maybe we need a new theology. Or go to one of those churches where you always leave a victory, right? Always. All you got to do is name it and claim it, and you got it, right? Oh, you, Pastor Brown, can, can we go to some church where it's more fun, easy, and good-sounding Bible teaching? Maybe in that way I can be more in control of God and tell him what I want, and I can get the results when I want it to make me happy the way I want it to, to go. No, because the fortress and the stronghold is the work of the Lord. And the Bible says, let all the earth keeps silent in their attempts to run and rule and rush what he is doing and promised to do. To keep walking. I know it. Christianity is sometimes the most routine faith. It seems like nothing's happening. I've already been to church. I've already read the Bible. I've already prayed. I done called the prayer partners. I even gave up some TV time to get into a Bible study. And still, I got this problem, Lord. You know what the seven days around means? No, it don't mean go to the Mercedes place and watch that. Watch, go seven times around a car you can't afford. That's not what it means. Because they just might give it to you at a high interest rate. They just might. Because you know you don't have the money or credit to get it. That's all right. Don't do it. Because that's not what this is saying. It means it will not move and go, and you will not be able to survive whatever it is until God is finished. What he wants to do and is doing in you and in us. Jericho is done. It's his people that he's changing as much as Jericho is coming down. 
While Jericho's coming down, his people are being lifted through and by him. And, and, and just maybe God is working in Jericho to move in people's hearts to get grace going. And so it will not move by your power or time, but give him glory by, by changing and shifting and being given to you when he says it will and not when you think or will or work it to. You know what they were heralding and praising and calling and reminding themselves? By going in silence and then a shout. They were saying and declaring, it is God with us that did and will do this. Not like Jericho. Not our strength. Not our might. Not our goodness. But that God's commander-in-chief, Jesus, has met us and led us. But it was not an armed guard with sword pulled like Joshua came up on that convinces us, just convinces us to let God lead us and have us in and let him into our lives. But my hope is that you've come upon a suffering servant on a cross whose sacrifice was as powerful as that armed soldier that appeared before Joshua that day. Because on the cross, Jesus was devoted by God meaning killed as unholy before God like the living things in Jericho. Jesus was seized and besieged and cut off from the life and holiness of God on that cross because he had a fortress-sized amount of our sin on him. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus died, the earth shook and the curtain separating the holiness of God and us tore open and the walls came down between you and God's loving destiny and plans for you. He went before us defeating sin and Satan and the enemies of God on the cross so that we can go in and come out behind him into freedom. If Jesus and Jesus, we were freed and empowered to surge, that means challenge, go on mission, engage, preach to, pray for, seek God for, pray for each other, spread the good news by the gospel alone through Christ alone against the devil and sin and stuff like institutional racism and pornography and poverty and besting sin, besetting sins in our lives, but also like Rahab the prostitute, those of us who hearts, have melted oppressed to live in bondage to sin, mortared into the city wall on top of you. You ever been oppressed? <laughs> you ever had sin be so on you you can't move? When I looked at the story of Rahab, I'm thinking, she's accepted in this city only as she is a prostitute. This city is saying, this is what you are in our walls. You have no greater dignity. This is how it's going to work. This is what you're going to, you know, when I saw this thing and she said, hey, can you please save my family? It didn't mention that she had a husband and kids. Oppressed. Most of Jericho's hearts were hardened. When her heart was melted, too, as she admitted, deserving God's judgment, by grace, he saved her out. It's funny to me how the wall came down and she didn't die. <laughs> like her part of the house didn't go down. 
in the midst of your continued struggle and oppression and bondage, God is surrounding you. Could you imagine her looking out her window every day for seven days? That's how it feels, y'all. I've been there. When you're kind of caught in sin, trapped in oppression, maybe loneliness, wondering how you're going to provide for your family. You got to live in the city walls of sin and oppression of this world. Some of y'all looking out the window for a future, maybe to get better. And you just see God's people walking around silently. God is surrounding you with the promise of freedom. Just look out from the window of oppression and at the word of God. Justice and freedom is on the way. God has not and will not forget you. Israel was able to surge into their struggle before God had made his home with them, seen in the Ark of the Covenant, now by the Holy Spirit of God. God was with them. And Rahab should have been slaughtered like a calf, like everyone else in Jericho. But she was set free from her stall. I'm using this language on purpose. <laughs> waiting for struggle. Waiting for slaughter. I say this because of our closing song that sometimes we sing and how it sounds. And the words get lost. But it fits perfectly. And I'm going to close with this reading from Malachi 4, which our closing song, when we get to it, comes from. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will not leave neither root or branch. But for you who fear my name, not the end of your kingdom, but his name. The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its rings, wings. You, like Rahab, shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, and for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. And on that day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, the sun is the sun of righteousness, of course. I don't know what you're under or trapped by, but in Christ is promising through the son of righteousness, you shall be freed to walk on all that harms you and all that hurt you into the righteousness and dignity of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. We were doing our own thing. But thank you for seizing our hearts, for some of us for besieging our lives. Thank you for showing us who we really were without you and are without you. I pray for the fortresses in the hearts of your people, things they just can't get over, things that they're defensive about. Heavenly Father, break down the walls. Go in and rescue us. And for all the things this church, as the people of God, as believers, not only in this city, but in this country, in this world, go through and face and are asked to give answers for, help us to see 
that you've taken the city. That when you died on the cross and you said it is finished, every fortress, every obstacle, every sickness, every ism, every problem was defeated. We just walk and wait for it to fall down. Thank you for your goodness, Lord Jesus, for the faith for a fortress. In Jesus' name, amen.